The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who follow it. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will triumph in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And with that, good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people. All the boat rockers who are in the house and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. We use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here on Rotten to the Core Wednesday. We've got some special guests lined up with us. Uh, including our own Common Core Diva, Lynn Taylor. We're going to bring them on in just a moment. Uh, let me get some formalities out of the way. If you want to check us out online, please do so, sonsoflibertyradio.com and also sonsoflibertymedia.com. In fact, if you are listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you'd like to join in on the video portion of the radio show, you can do so. Go over to sonsoflibertymedia.com, scroll down on the right side of the page, and you will see that we're going live on one of our platforms that we're on, and uh, you can just click onto that, enlarge it. That's right, you can see the face is made for radio, 
And also you can click on the bottom, the icon there, and you can join us in the chat. Lots of friends there this morning. We appreciate you guys being there every morning. It's great to see those names in there and the, and the people who are there and the support that you give. We appreciate that very much. Also, right above that video where we're going live is Bradley's show from yesterday. If you missed that, you want to catch it, sonsoflibertymedia.com. Again, right side of the page. And uh, he'll be live at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central here on sonsoflibertymedia.com. Also, right above that is a place where you can subscribe to our email newsletter. Now, we don't rent your email. We don't spam you. We don't sell your email to anybody, so you're safe in that regard. You get all the articles that we have every day at sonsoflibertymedia.com, myself, Bradley, and also the morning show archive. So this show here will be archived with the video, with the podcast, any of the stuff we talk about, the links, uh, and things of that, of that nature, all in one neat little package for you if you want to uh, you know, take your study a little further than where it is. And this, that's also included in the email for the day. And finally, again, if you agree with our message, we don't ask you for money. We let you know that we have needs. It does cost money to do all the different things that we do at the Sons of Liberty. But if you would like to support us in that, there is a donate button at the top of sonslibertymedia.com. Click on that. And uh, those of you who are able and who desire to help us and partner with us, uh, we would appreciate that support very much. And also, if you're looking to become a monthly supporter of the Sons of Liberty, that link is also up there. You can become a son or daughter of Liberty. And finally, the store. You can click on that. We've got great gift ideas or conversation starters from coffee mugs to T-shirts and water bottles and all kinds of things in between. And then we have some equipping tools in the form of some books and also uh, DVDs and CDs. So be sure to check out the store as well. Okay, Rotten to the Core Wednesday, and uh, we usually talk about education. Usually it's the usurpations, making you aware of the usurpations of authority by usually the feds in most cases, okay? Sometimes it's in state governments, but usually by the feds, and it's pushing the workforce agenda. And uh, so we've been covering that for some time now, and we had um, Charlotte Isserbeet on, and she mentioned a particular book, and that book, if you guys remember it, was called uh, School World Order, right? And um, we, we, uh, Lynn got in touch with the gentleman who wrote the book, John Kleichik, and uh, I hope I pronounced that correctly, and we're going to call him Jake because that's what he likes to be called, but uh, she got in touch with him, um, I think a couple of weeks ago. And we decided to have him on the show to talk about some of the stuff that we have uh, been engaged in uh, here on the show because he's written on it based upon a lot of the stuff that uh, Charlotte had had done over the years as well. And so it's my pleasure to welcome uh, to the Sons of Liberty both the Common Core diva Lynn Taylor and Jake Kleitek. Good morning, guys. Hold on, I got you. Hold on, I got you muted there. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, good morning, everyone. <laughs> this is my new friend, Jake, and he has a wonderful story to tell us about um, how he is really good friends with Charlotte. So, Jake, if you would let everybody know that story, that is, that'd that be a great way to start off. Okay. Well, good morning, and uh, thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, I, I guess I met Charlotte, or we came in contact uh, before the book became a book project. I, uh, I wrote an article uh, during the time when uh, Governor Rauner in, this, in my state of Illinois was uh, basically stalling on the budget, which was a ploy to bankrupt uh, public institutions and put them into private receivership. And so that was all the school choice stuff that Charlotte talked about. So you're 
charter schools, vouchers, tax credits, uh, education savings accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I had also seen that he was tossing around a lot of other buzzwords like cradle to career. So that's the workforce training. Then they were pushing these P20 councils. There's your public-private partnerships. And then tied to that was uh, this move. Well, actually, I was working for another company that was tutoring through digital platforms. And so uh, that's your that's your Skinner box, your adaptive learning. And I kind of just saw all that stuff that she talked about in the deliberate dumbing down of America mm-hmm. uh, sort of popping up at this moment that our state was in a budgetary crisis. So I wrote this brief piece and uh, she saw it and reached out to me, basically said, you know, great work and, and keep it up. And then so those articles kind of turned into a, a book. Um, and then not too long ago, well, it was, I guess, in October last year, um, I went and stayed with her for 30 days. Uh, she had some, some, she needed some help around the house and stuff. And uh, she let me look through all her archives and actually gave me basically everything that she kept, which was basically everything that she ever came in contact from the uh, Department of Ed and a bunch of other stuff. It was uh, 36 file cabinets full. Took me about 100 hours to dig through it. Um, and, uh, and then, and then I came back and I spent another couple of weeks with her back in March. Um, and I think I'm probably gonna, gonna peek up there again in a, in a couple of weeks here to bring back, um, she, she gave me some books that I scanned. Um, so yeah, we're, we're pretty much like family now. Uh, you know, we, we in addition to, you know, helping her out doing all kind of research, we just hung out, you know, we eat breakfast together, you know, eat dinner together, watch the news and make fun of it together and stuff like that. So. Um, so yeah, that's my little story about me and Charlotte. Oh, that's wonderful though. I tell you what, she is, uh, she's such a treasure and, um, she's been on our show, I think a couple of times and, uh, she's just really enamored with all the things that I have been able to find as well. So it, she's a good one to have in our corner. She really is. But, uh, if you would, those who have not seen your book, would you tell us a little bit about the book? Cause you said it didn't start off as a book, but it was it kind of morphed into that. So if you would, uh, Tim showed everybody the link to, uh, I think it was Amazon. It's about $15 to get your book. But uh, tell those who have not read it uh, basically what it's about. Okay, thanks. So, um, mm-hmm. so it sort of builds on those themes that were mentioned in Charlotte's book. So, you know, actually the, the it started off, that first article becomes the first chapter in the book. So it moves through the privatization, school choice. Then it moves into the uh, changing from academics to workforce training. Mm-hmm. Then it looks at how the uh, public-private partnerships, the regional partnerships, uh, sort of sets up that infrastructure. Then it looks at uh, big data and how data mining uh, fits into the equation. And then I break down specifically the Skinner box mechanism in terms of the data mining, sort of personalized cognitive behavioral algorithms. Um, from there, I move into the uh, social emotional learning through the digital technologies. So that's basically these wearables that data mine the students' emotional algorithms. And then from there, I look at precision education, which is uh, basically it looks at genetic IQ. So that's a eugenic component. From the edit component, I go into the brain-computer interfaces and the transhumanist technologies, and then those interfacing with artificial intelligence, and that's your uh, that's your posthumanism, which I 
could make a slight distinction between the transhumanism and the posthumanism. The final chapter is basically a solution section where I'm looking at a return to classical learning right. uh, grounded in metaphysics. Very good. Well, that is quite a quite the uh, gamut of educational, or as as I call it, the educratic mess that we're in. And um, I believe it was published, what, in 2018? Is that correct? I, you know, I think it was supposed to be released then, but I had ended it before I got to the solution section. Mm-hmm. My publisher said, uh, can't end it just with the problem <laughs> and destroy everybody's faith or hope in the future. Uh, you know, you got a solution. So the solution, by the way, I, I was kind of thinking through those as I wrote those. Okay. It came out 2019, just a few okay. months before all this, this craziness kicked uh, off. Well, I tell you what, in that short amount of time, I have been absolutely floored at how much of what you've written about has not only increased, but it's, it's, it's like it's consumed everyone. And, you know, I'm not finding it just in K through 12 education. I'm finding this in higher education, in homeschooling. I'm finding it everywhere. So this this misconception that it's just public education is so wrong. And what I'm also finding is that there are still so many people who think that school choice is a viable option. So could you speak to that just a little bit? Yeah, so um, people think school choice is basically getting out of the government school system, um, but it's not because if you want to really get out of you know the, the federalized government school system, then you have to go full private. You can't go to a federally subsidized uh, what they call public-private partnership. So a charter school is a private company, uh, can be for-profit or non-profit, um, but it's subsidized with your, your tax dollars. So once it gets those tax dollars, it has to follow federal curriculum. Okay. And then vouchers and uh, education savings accounts, tax credits for tuition, that all works the same way again, because basically as soon as you take that federal money, uh, mm-hmm. you are, you are tied to the federal regulation. So it's, it's actually in some ways worse than just having the public and the private separately because mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're actually subsidizing a private company. Um, and so you're basically paying for its profits. And then you usually have to pay a tuition as well. So um, in addition to subsidizing the private company, you know, when we start talking about the workforce training stuff, uh, mm-hmm. you're actually paying for companies, uh, the, the in-house training that they would otherwise be paying for themselves. Right. And what I have found is that if it's not the federal funds that that cause you to be aligned to all the the educratic garbage it's the accreditation companies especially in charter schools because what they're doing is they're micromanaging the uh, school board which is not elected like in public schools these are appointed positions and these play to the system and i've done research into these accrediting companies and it doesn't matter if you're a private school or a public school, these accreditation companies will come in and tell you how to think, what to teach, when when you can breathe, when you cannot. And it, it's absolutely insane. Now, I know that a lot of the education savings accounts and the vouchers and the tax credits uh, are part of the pay-as-you-go system, which we know that is fascism. But here in North Carolina, what they do with the money, Jake, is they take it and put it into a common follow-up system. So the second that you enter the system, 
if it's in preschool, if it's in college, the minute you enter the education system here in the state, you are assigned a unique identifier number that tracks you from your education all the way through to your career. And I know that's not a new thing, but a lot of people don't realize that their states are doing the same thing. And that number would, would let's say you transfer mm-hmm. to different schools in the mm-hmm. state follow you everywhere and all that data, your workforce data, your learning yeah. data. I call it student data rape. And what I mean by that is I did an uh, article one time and I, I compared the physical crime to the, the abuse that's going on in the education system. And they almost mirror each other because it's doing something without someone's consent that harms them terribly. One, of course, is, is very punishable. The other should be punishable. You know, you just reminded me when I was looking at some of the um, the, the scholarly journals on uh, some of the the uh, data mining technologies, in particular, some of the uh, artificial intelligence, like the facial recognition mm-hmm. scanners for the social emotional learning. And what, what was it's not funny, but it was, it was ironic to me was they would have images in these journal articles, and they would have pictures of the study with the, the little kids, and they'd have the kids' faces blurred out, mm-hmm. but the amount of data that you're tracking, right, that they were aggregating, it's like, okay, you blurred out the person's face, but the, the number of data, I mean, you basically sliced open the child's head and looked inside, which is even more invasive than just, right, the, the, this uh, student's face. So, yeah, that's... Right. There, There's an organization, and I can't remember if it's the first five years, or uh, I think that's what it is, but they show this sweet little child, and you see from probably the eyes down, And then from here up is a sponge. And to me, that is horrible because we're not filling that sponge with anything good. We're filling it in the first five years with garbage, absolute garbage. Well, right. And, you know, one of the things I talk about with the difference between, you know, classical method and, and the outcomes-based behaviorist model is the difference between teaching the students what to think versus teaching students how to how think. How to think, yes, and absolutely. Thinking about a, a child's brain as a sponge is very like data input and then, you know, the outcomes resulting from the data input as opposed to giving the student uh, conceptual skills, grammar, logic, rhetoric to right. Right, not be a sponge, but to be a creative engine to decide right. what, whether or not something goes in there or not. Right. Absolutely. Well, you know, it all plays with their minds, which is the psychology. And I don't know if you've um, seen this or not, but recently UNICEF has come out with a document that we have to protect all the online access for children uh, because it's part of their human rights and woven into that is education. But here's the thing. In this report, and this is what caught the attention for the Center of Family and Human Rights, is that they stated that some of the comprehensive sexuality education, uh, which can be called porn, that, that some porn for children is not a bad thing. But people are missing 
because of that one thing that's in that document, they're missing all the rest, which is it has to increase a child's digital footprint. It has to use biometrics to identify if this child is old enough to even have access. It labors under the assumption that uh, you're 18 or older. But if you look at the Children's Online Privacy Act here in America, it lowers it to age 13. So this document is horrible in the fact of what it's wanting to do to go in with that artificial intelligence that you talk about, that technocratic um, um, shift, not just for children, but for all of us. And then uh, the UK also has uh, a document out. It's called Mindspace. And I've been going over that with my co-host on Thursday mornings. And we've been diving into that. But it's it's supposed to be about how our governments use psychology, Jake, to manipulate public policy. Yeah, I actually, I recently... um wrote an article for Unlimited Hangout. It's called mm-hmm. From UNESCO Study 11 to UNESCO 2050. And it was it's based on a, a, a file that I got from uh, Charlotte. Uh, while mm-hmm. I, it was collated by a person named Lawrence P. Grayson. He was uh, worked at the National Institute of Education with U.S. Department of Education. He was the liaison with UNESCO. Um, and what I found was he had collated together this project called UNESCO Study 11. He collated it with law journals and academic journals uh, and some other U.S. Department of Education documents. And just as I pulled it out and laid out the files, before I even really dug into that, I could see basically why he, what he was, uh, why he bundled those together because the UNESCO Study 11 was a project that wanted to, it's called New New Technologies in Education. So it was moving into the uh, early 80s. So the uh, information revolution, they even talked about it as the information revolution. Today we know it as the fourth industrial revolution. Uh, and it was a project that basically um, was partnering with both uh, communist nations of Central and Eastern Europe with Western <laughs> capitalist nations uh, and they said that the, the centralized statecraft of the communist nations was ideal for administering education policy at the, at the uh, national level. But they were also using the multinational Western capitalist companies to set up the global infrastructure. So to basically mm-hmm. distribute all the IT technologies across the different borders uh, and then to administer them increasingly in a more centralized manner. Um, and so that's that has basically laid the foundation for all this telelearning, right? All the wearables, all the stuff that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, that's, that's sort of the background to a lot of that stuff you're, you're, uh, you're mentioning. Uh, uh, can, I, okay. can, I, can I ask a question in here? Can I chime in here just a second? Sure. Uh, John, you were mentioning a little while ago uh, this stuff, and then Lynn ta- uh, kind of hopped on that as well with the um, – uh, the data mining and stuff and the protection of children. And you were talking about people uh, pixelating faces out. And I know they do that in the media if they don't have p- parents' permission or something like that, you know, to use a child's picture and things of that nature. Uh, are parents unwittingly giving away permission for their child to have this kind of data mining done? This indo- I know they're they're obviously doing it by taking their kids to a public school, but you mentioned, and we've talked about these other things of where uh, the dollars get, you know, these, these carrots on a string, if you will, if they give you the money, then they get to determine what the rules are that you've got to abide by. Are there some ways in which parents are getting, I don't know, the small print 
somewhere that they're actually signing their kids over that all this stuff can be done to them besides just taking them to the to to wherever the indoctrination centers that they're going to i i would say i would say i i surmise probably not in most or at least a lot of situations and the reason why i say that is because i i also teach i teach at a couple community colleges i'm an adjunct so right i'm lowest on the totem pole but you know, I'm also active in the union, so I'm, I'm, I get to come to some of these board meetings. And I, during this whole process, this whole CARES process, you know, they, they're using that money to, one of the main purposes is to integrate new technologies, new digital platforms. And I have suggested several times to people to say, like, well, they'll, they'll propose contracts. And I'm going to go into all the specific details for different contracts. Um, but, you know, I'll ask questions about like what is the data sharing what is the privacy policy and um sometimes we've gotten into the particulars other times they just sort of rubber stamp stuff but i mean uh even after i bring it to their attention it's oftentimes either like if i hadn't brought it to their attention nobody would have thought about it so if the administrators and the teachers aren't thinking about it i mean the the, the parents who probably feel like they don't have the uh you know you know the the, the expertise to, to say what's good or bad as far as what the kids need, they're just gonna trust the teachers, the teachers are gonna trust administrators, administrators are gonna trust trustees, the trustees are gonna trust the the, uh, the federal apparatus and the, and the companies that wanna give them the, the uh, devices. So uh, another way to say that is when they come up with these new proposals, they don't, uh, they don't specify in there what those uh, data policies are. They, they don't even specify whether or not there's efficacy, like, will, will students learn anything? It's just like, we need a digital platform. Here's one that's popular. Let's plug it in. Um, and, you know, if anybody, I, I did a video based on one of those contracts. It's on my, uh, it's on my YouTube and my bitch shoot, but it was a company that contracts with another company. So the first company does the adaptive learning uh, testing and basically has a, has a data sharing component, goes in a national database. That company shares with another company called Corporate Screening. Corporate Screening provides uh, compliance and background checks, not just for employment, but also criminal justice. Then they have their Verify Students uh, platform for education records. They also have an Immunitrax vaccine passport. And then they have something called Self-Sovereign Identity Management. It's a blockchain platform that aggregates all that stuff together. And if you look at the, the graphics on it, it's got a, it's got these kids and these students have their devices and the, the device is beaming this thing in their face and it's got a facial recognition scan on it and next to them is a little um like a um different metrics so like a you know like a so like like a social credit metric basically and it's got bar graphs and pie graphs and I showed them all of this in connection to the company saying like if we if we plug this thing in. This company is going to share this data with this other company, and, and this company is going to aggregate it into this biometric platform. The company also does do biometric screening for fingerprinting and things like that. And given even all that specific data, it was just like I, I was the only one that voted no on it. So, well, I, that, I, I that, don't that, know anything. If yeah, I that, could, if I could add to that for just just a little bit, Tim. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. About five years ago, I was on another broadcast and we were talking about the layers of contracts that uh, Jake just brought up. 
And parents may know about the first maybe one or two, Tim, but here's what Anita Hogue was sharing with us. And Anita has also worked with Charlotte. And that is that sometimes between all the contracts and all the grad students who have access to this data as well for their thesis studies or or whatever, that sometimes it can be 15 layers deep. Now, here in North Carolina, one of uh, my journalist friends was able to do an access uh, for information, and we were able to find 90 different contracts just for the public school system. That didn't include all the the hybrid learning. That didn't include all the stuff that was going on at community colleges or community outreach programs that are for after school and things like that. So we're talking myriads of, of data, which is why the social and emotional market is looking at making billions in the next few years. It's because it's harvesting this data that is from the biometrics that is going in and changing the values and the attitudes and the beliefs and they're making profit on it and they're going to keep going till they bankrupt our souls jake if, if i can I, I just want to kind of follow up with with what was going on there if that if, if what you're saying is true and i don't i i believe it i believe it is true but if it's true then you know you talked about solutions i'm sure we're going to get into some of that in a little bit because you know we've covered a lot of of this stuff of what's going on and mm-hmm. the solutions oftentimes are, is going to, they're obviously going to cost people time and effort to go do, but that's why it's worth something to do. Um, when, when you have this go on, is there not something that parents can do? Is there, do we not have any parents who are going after this in such a way to say, wait a minute, you can't be using my child in this, in this manner, um, you know, as a for-profit thing. I mean, I know, that some people get irate if you take their picture because allegedly, you know, they own, they quote unquote, un- own their own image and you have to have permission to do all those kinds of things. Well, if that's the case, then all of this stuff that's coming out that they're data mining from the children, it would seem that it's very similar in nature as to what they're doing uh, in order to, as you were talking about just a minute ago, it sounds, it sounds almost science fiction uh, in a lot of ways to control them in the future. I think that um, I think that most parents probably, you know, you got to think, and, and I've never had it in social media until I got the book. So I like it's it's finally kind of clicking with me as to why people kind of without thinking go wrong with a lot of this, and that is people have been living on their phones for ten years at least, and well, probably twenty almost, right, or something like that, fifteen years. Like I said, I. I I'm not in that. I've never been part of that world, but I noticed, right? That, I mean, all the devices that people have gotten so comfortable with, with their social media, that's doing the exact same thing at a commercial level. And, you know, I've often talked to, to my students, um, you know, we, I, I, uh, some of the topics that we read about, um, you know, is data mining. I mean, it's one of the main topics that I like to talk about with my students because they don't even realize, right? Like, hey, you ever got one of those? Uh, you ever been looking at uh, a product on a particular website and then you got an ad for it on your Facebook or something? They're like, yeah, what's that about? And then we start to talk about it. And then I'll show them everything, you know, in pieces over the semester. And then at the end, show them the social credit system in China. <laughs> and at the beginning, everybody's like, well, I don't care if people, you know, know what I like. And, you know, I get good ads from it and they, they recommend stuff. And then when we get to social credit, um, you know, there's, there's a lot more people that are like, whoa, wait a minute, maybe my maybe my data is worth more than I think it is. 
Mm -hmm. uh, but there's still a lot of people that are just like, yeah, it's all good, you know, whatever. And so um, I think that most parents probably, if, if they do think about it, they probably just think like, they just think, well, you know, it's, it helps them, you know, that data is useful and it helps my students learn more, just like, you know, my phone helps me get, get better ads. So, you know, is there a solution to that? Um, you know, I, I largely wrote my book. I mean, I'm a public educator, so, you know, I, I wanted to defend the public school system. I wanted to defend the elected process of, of school board and, and stuff like that. Um, but watching how the school, the public schools, uh, and, and, and also, you know, the public private charter, but I mean, me firsthand in the public school system, uh, you know, there, there doesn't seem like there's a lot of wiggle room to actually, you know, I, I've been like right there trying to like have a dialogue about like, hey, let's not just jump straight into this stuff. Let's at least, you know, be a little critical about it. Um, so, you know, I think maybe something like a good solution could be something like my friend uh, Andy Lisbon in um, out in California started to do something where um, he, he is not cool with all the lockdown and the Zoom and the virtual learning. So he hooked up with a group of, of mothers uh, and was going out on to, uh, to the park to give them in-person learning on his own time in, in the, during the weekends, right? And the uh, well, administration didn't like that very much. It you know, became a, a Newsmax store, the national news. Um, and he's, he's managed to um, get some buffer where he can continue to do that um, as, a, as a separate thing under this, this group of mothers. So, I mean, maybe it just starts small, like just finding ways to, you know, if you can't, if you can't get out of the public school and you don't want to jump into either the public private charter school or a homeschool situation where you're just plugged into the same technologies, I mean, maybe, maybe one of those solutions is you know, just finding other parents uh, that agree with, you know, your perspective on getting out of all this data mining and, and having park sessions and having, right, meeting, coming together and meeting in a space where you can start to learn, uh, you know, like a human being. And maybe if, maybe if that can, can kind of pick up some steam, you know, maybe the schools will have to respond to that because they'll see that, right, people really want to learn uh, outside of the system. That's very much. That's very much the classical way. I mean, man, when you turn on, uh, you know, Little House on the Prairie, which some people are not even watching anymore, but you see that the parents got together. They got a teacher. The teacher was responsible to them, and that teacher taught all quote unquote grades, age levels. Uh, that's what I would say, age levels, in one classroom. And and that that teacher was responsible to the parents, not to government, not to to some bureaucrat or some public private partnership. She was responsible to the parents, as it should be, because, you know, we we talk about Deuteronomy six, and uh, and we put the the emphasis on the jurisdiction of education is the, is the parents. That's their role. It's not the state's role. It's not the federal. It certainly isn't the federal government's role because they've been given no authority in that, so they shouldn't be writing. Uh, legislation. They shouldn't be spending money. They shouldn't be directing anybody. There shouldn't have been any of that stuff. And yet we've let that go on so long. Now it's all in, uh, as Lynn and I have been covered, in, and I'm sure you have too, it's not just in education anymore. It's in every stinking thing Everything. of our life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what's so dangerous about this, this new uh, UK report is because the public policy is not going to just dictate what happens in education. It's going to be used in our health care. It's going to be in how we're governed and everything. But Jake, while we have you on, there is a, uh, 
diagram that you have at the end of chapter 12 that is the historical timeline for the order of the Illuminati or the order of school, skull and bones as far as the psychology that has been woven into education. So could we, we talk about that because this does play into what we're seeing happen with this behavior conditioning and, and that sort of thing. Uh, Tim, I think I sent you the image so that we could show everybody. Uh, I apologize if it was uh, uh, turned upside down or whatever. But, yeah, that's it right there. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, so, so if, if everybody can see it, there's three layers to this flow chart. And so at the top, you've got the history of the Order of the Bavarian Illuminati. In the middle of it, you've got the history of basically behavioral psychology uh, and its progression into uh, the modern teaching machine, adaptive learning software, and then the post-humanism or transhumanism. On the bottom, you've got the history of the order of skull and bones. Now, um, there are uh, the, the order of skull and bones is a, is a Germanic secret society. It has roots, uh, the original branches goes back to Germany and um it starts in the United States. It's chapter 322. So that can mean we don't know exactly what it means because right, we have to infer. Uh, but it could mean that it started in 1832 and it's the second chapter. Now, you can also look at the period and date numbers, the P and the D. And if you look at the sequences as when the different uh, decades start, uh, if you go back to the first decade, basically it, it starts right when the Bavarian Illuminati was banished. Um, so a lot of people speculate, including Anthony Sutton, who wrote uh, America's Secret Establishment, uh, Introduction to the Order of Skull and Bones, um, speculates that it is, it is likely that right, the Order of Skull and Bones is a branch that comes directly out of the Bavarian Illuminati. So two uh, Illuminists, um, who have a direct relationship to the Order of Skull and Bones are Johann Heinrich Pestalozzi and Karl Casimir Wundt. So Johann Heinrich Pestalozzi, uh, he started and uh, had an early uh, theory of education, ABCs through sense perception. Um, and later on, uh, when B.F. Skinner writes his uh, The Technology of Teaching, he actually references Pestalozzi's ABCs of sense perception and says that it is not incompatible with the teaching machine. So sense perception being the stimulus, an early version of the stimulus response mechanism mm -hmm. that is behavioral psychology. So the stimulus being your environment, the response being the behavior you elicit based on that. Um, and it just gets refined from, from Wilhelm Wundt down to the behaviors like E.L. Thorndike down to the operant conditioning specialist like B.F. Skinner. So um, he would hand, uh, Pestalozzi basically handed uh, his theory down to somebody called Yo Johann Friedrich Herbart, and that person, Herbart, influenced Wilhelm Wundt, who was the founding father of uh, behavioral psychology. He established the first laboratory for behavioral psychology. Wilhelm Wundt's, either, yeah, his father was Karl Casimir Wundt, and Karl Casimir Wundt was in the Bavarian Order of Illuminati. So you have two people who were directly associated with the Illuminati who influenced um, the beginning of behavioral psychology. This is important in terms of the order because Wilhelm Wundt, um, his theories were uh, disseminated by 
who three bonesmen known as the Troika, that's uh, Timothy Dwight, uh, Andrew Dixon White, and uh, Daniel Clay Gilman. Um, they basically brought this stuff back to the United States, and they w- were able to set up some of the first uh, university. So they were some of the first presidents of Johns Hopkins University, Cornell University, and they also were president at, uh, at Yale. Mm-hmm. Um, at Johns Hopkins University, Daniel Quay Gilman made G. Stanley Hall the first um, the first chair in, in psychology. Before that, psychology was a branch of philosophy. G. Stanley Hall got his PhD, was one of the first PhDs, might have been the very first American PhD uh, under Wilhelm Wundt. So he studied under Wundt, came back. Daniel Quint Gilman put him in a position where he would basically establish uh, laboratory psychology in the United States. Other PhDs from Wilhelm Wundt would be someone like James McKean Cattell uh, at Columbia University and people like E.L. Thorndike. They were funded by the Rockefeller General Education Board, mm-hmm. where Daniel Clay Gilman sat on the board. Um, and then, of course, you have another Bones connection to the Rockefellers uh, through Percy Rockefeller, who was himself a Bonesman. Mm-hmm. Um, Stanley Hall, um, in addition to uh, establishing the lab, uh, uh, psychology as a discipline in the United States, he would also, hundreds of PhDs would, would earn their, would earn their um, uh, psychology PhDs under G. Stanley Hall, and they would go on right, to, to set up departments in other colleges. In particular, one of the most important we would note would be John Dewey, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously being one of, the, uh, one of the cornerstones in American pedagogy. Uh, John Dewey, one of his students was John B. Watson, right? And he basically coined the term behaviorism. And it's a combination of John B. Watson and E.L. Thorndike who pass on the torch to B.F. Skinner, where he basically just takes the puzzle box experiments, makes them uh, gives them four quadrants through the punishment reward uh, system and comes up with this thing called operant conditioning. Now he was funded by McGeorge Bundy at Harvard University. McGeorge Bundy is another bonesman. Um, and then the last part in the uh, in the uh, the chart I have here is Stephen Mnuchin, who is basically through his tax cuts and jobs act, or what they call the tax cuts and robots act, because there was something called the full and immediate expensing clause that enabled people to. You know, in a business, typically, if you buy new equipment, you get to write off depreciation over time. But this clause said that if you bought some new equipment, in particular, uh, equipment that would automate your workforce, you could write off full depreciation after the first year, which means that right, you could basically buy that machine for free in the first year and you could use it to replace all your expenses for whatever your uh, your employees would, would normally uh, have. Um there's one thing that I didn't include in here that I might uh, drop in, and that has to do with the uh, transhumanist uh, mm-hmm. computer interfaces. And um, I wrote this part afterwards. And what I discovered was that Jose Manuel Rodriguez Delgado, who wrote a book called uh, Physical Control of the Mind, he's the person who pioneered the brain computer interfaces with brain chips. More crude stuff back then, basically, would go into the brain and through different frequencies, they could elicit different emotions, you know, make you more aggressive, less aggressive, mess with libido, things like that. This is in the um, early 60s around, mm-hmm. and he's connected to three bonesmen, and that's Charles Stafford Gage, Frank Davis Ashburn, and Hannibal Hamlin. Um, 
Hannibal Hamlin was actually one of his assistants where at some of these mental hospitals where people would come in and say, hey, you know, this person has problems with aggression and they would experiment and put put these crude uh, brain chips in there. So even the brain computer interfaces, uh, although they're not in that chart, all of that stuff is directly uh, thanks to the order of skull and bones. Wow. You know, that doesn't sound too far removed from Elon Musk's stuff about transhumanism. And, you know, Tim and I did a, uh, I think it was an interview. I think it was this earlier this year, Tim, that we did it, where we showed the uh, lab rat with the big old brain chip and yep. he wanted to do it to humans. Yeah. Yep. So, wow. Yeah, well, Jake, Jake, can, I, can I can I interject something? Because this chart is pretty fascinating to me. And, you know, we've got uh, David Rizzolotta. He he writes uh, for us at uh, SonsLibertyMedia.com and also at Defense of Our Nation. And and David is real big on exposing a communist agenda. And he, he quotes uh, B.F. Skinner a lot, I know, and John Dewey. And it's interesting to me how you've got this all tied together. And somebody came in the chat and they said, well, George W. Bush was skull and bones. Yeah, that's true. But we're past George W. Bush. And then you bring in Stephen Mnuchin. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I kind of look at that guy like, man, you can just look at that guy and he just, I don't know, he exuberates some, some bad vibes to me. In any case, I, you know, we, we're constantly breaking down this right left paradigm because I think that's how in communist countries, people don't understand communist uh, countries, they get to vote. That's not the problem. Um, and they've always got their person who's ready to run it. But Steve Mnuchin, I mean, this guy was uh, what Secretary of Treasury under under Trump. Oh, he's mm-hmm. he's given all that, and yet he's involved in all. He's tied right back here with these guys, uh, skull and bones, and all this other stuff too. And you know, I I say that because again, I'm trying to, as much as I can, pull the the curtain back for people who continue to think that if I I vote a certain party or if I put a certain you know political jersey in office somewhere that things are going to be fixed. And that's just not necessarily true because all these people seem to be in bed together. Yeah. And, you know, the, the mm-hmm. element that can basically, uh, that ties it together and sort of breaks through the left-right, the false left-right paradigm is something called Hegelianism. And every, basically everybody I just mentioned was mm-hmm. a Hegelian. Okay. And yep. the book documents it very thoroughly. Right. And, um, so both you had, you know, the, the right Hegelians, which were uh, on some of the Germans who would later uh, lead to, you know, the rise of Adolf Hitler, but more uh, more famously would be the, the left Hegelians would be like Karl Marx, right? And so, uh, you know, Hegel said that history evolves through uh, ideas. So you have a, a thesis, like a dominant idea, then you have resistance to it. That's the, that's the antithesis. And then through the thesis and antithesis, that clash creates a synthesis of ideas. And then that, that's actually, we get even the term evolution. People think that that's Darwin. That's actually Hegel. He just gave it a biological uh, spin. And and so, uh, you know, Marx took it and he said, well, yeah, all that, I, Hegel's right, but ideas is not, it's got nothing to do with it. That's that's secondary. What's important is the material relationship. So he just took it out of ideas and said that economic dialectics is what creates uh, the synthesis. Now, if you look at something like the World Economic Forum today, they use communitarian rhetoric. They use equity rhetoric, right? And you know, you can talk about communitarian is basically just you know a spin on the communist ethos. Uh, but then they're all about public-private partnerships and basically having all these multinational corporations be the stewards of this communitarian equity. So there's your there's your fascist or your corporate fascist part. 
And so there's your synthesis of right your your communist uh, block and your your fascist block into this new new world order, basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I was able to take the Every Student Succeeds Act, Jake, and turn it into the the same uh, thesis, antithesis, uh, and at the bottom. It was all about the workforce-based education. It wasn't about the classic type that we've talked about. But um, I just, I don't really uh, follow a lot of the Kennedy quotes, but I thought this was a good one. And it can be part of a solution to help encourage the parents out there. Each time a man stands up for an ideal or acts to improve the lot of others or strikes out against injustice, he sends forth a tiny ripple of hope and crossing each other from a million different centers of energy and daring those ripples to build a current which can sweep down the mightiest walls of oppression and resistance. And that was by Robert Kennedy. So I just wanted to throw that out there because I know a lot of what we're talking about, people are going to go, Oh, like, like you were saying, your publisher said, no, you can't hand them all this gloom and doom. You have to give them some sort of hope. Uh, And that's what we try to do here on the show as well as to end with solutions and with some hope. So we are getting close to, to time to start to wrap up. So, is there something you could add to that that might help um, shift away from all this really fascinating, awful stuff, but that help, can help us to spur each other on? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, um, the most important thing out of the, the um, that concluding chapter is going to be, and it comes out of the classical method, grammar, logic, rhetoric, but the principle of non-contradiction. Right? And I know sometimes when you're looking and like we just talked about, we well, got right and left. OK, but mm-hmm. when you look at them, basically uh, funding or supporting the same policies, that's a contradiction in the in uh, concerning the idea that they're different. Right. So this principle of non-contradiction, if we can just apply this. Right. I mean, we don't we don't even need all of this, uh, you know, uh, all this educational apparatus and in, in applying that, um, you know, that means find other people that are willing to have that dialogue with you uh, and, you know, do stuff like my friend Andy and, you know, find places to have authentic learning experiences uh, and you don't have to be experts in it, right? You don't have to find some expert teacher. You just have to have that principle of non-contradiction uh, and have an honest conversation with people and make friends with the people that are, uh, that have ears to hear because, uh, I, I've spent a lot of time trying to get people in academia to kind of uh, open up their eyes to some of this. And it's, it's starting to seem like, you know, that might not be the, the, the best audience to actually gain, to gain the, uh, create those ripples and those waves that you just right. made. Right? Right. Um, and so I know that sounds relatively quaint, but I, I say that because I like that quote because it, it's true. Right. And truth um it doesn't matter how big and scary all this, this machinery is, right? Right. Truth transcends all of that and you can't destroy truth. So, Amen. you know, just keep that in focus and find those people um, and just build, build those real relationships that will, I mm-hmm. think, uh, build the way. I, I don't know that, um, I don't know that there's a better, better answer than that. I don't, you know, I think that that, that has more weight than actually saying, you know, the, the, my, I have a five point plan in, in the book. You know, <laughs> I mean? like, some, some, some out, you know, some uh, right. strategy or I think what's more important is right. Building those, uh, spiritual relationships with people. And yeah, well, you, you know, you said it basically truth always wins. 
All right, let me let me uh, let me chime in here a little bit because we're running a little bit low on time here. But um, what the, the building of the relationships happens obviously um, locally. That's not going to be a, a national thing necessarily. I mean, we can have mm-hmm. we obviously are meeting one another across state lines and stuff this way, and we built we can we can work together and do some things like that. But in this local concept, you know, Jake, it sounds to me like you're you're giving really nothing more than what the Bible has called us to. And the Bible calls us to as at least as believers, it calls us to be a fellowship. It calls us a body. And we're working together and we can't say, well this part of the body is unnecessary and that part is or or isn't. <clears throat> and uh so I see that kind of following from what you're saying there. You're you're actually saying the solution to this problem is the people themselves, and the Bible would say use the term repent. If we would repent and quit being uh, complacent or lazy or whatever the case may be, we're looking to do our own thing and just drop our kids off at the at the eight hour you know status indoctrination center or whatever the case may be. The solution is us to go and do the right thing, right? Yeah, and then just as another example, you know, um, I've said oftentimes, you know, go to, go to the store, go, go out in public, and you oftentimes see, uh, you know, a mom or a dad giving the device to the kid as a babysitter while they play with their device. So it's exactly what you're talking about. Until that type of stuff, until until people can put that phone down and, like you say, repent and, and say, man, I've been spending way too much time on this phone. I've been letting the phone raise my kids. Uh, until they can do that, right? You can have, you know, a 10-point plan and you can have all this organization, all this political organization. That's not going to do it if in the meantime, the hearts and minds of the people are still, right, uh, basically living in, living on those, those screens. And then one other thing I'll add to that, you know, biblically is grace, you know. So that means that, you know, uh, don't, don't waste your time getting into heated uh, battles with people, uh, debates with people that don't have ears to hear. And that also means, though, that if, if somebody is, you don't agree on a bunch of stuff, whether it be ideological, political, spiritual, but you all agree that, right, lockdown's no good, masks no good, vaccines no good, in-person learning, we need to get back in. You have to practice the grace, and those people should be part of that dialogue. And, you know, Christ went, you know, and he, he ministered to everybody, and he ministered to the people that the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have said shouldn't even be allowed to hear um, you know, the, the, the message of God. So, um, so both of those things, right. Repenting and grace and those principles, keeping those in mind when you go to make these relationships. Okay. All right, guys, where do we want to go over to you guys or not? Uh, Jake, do you have more that you would like to add or, or I think we've got a, I think we have a, had a good discussion. (laughs) Okay. It's up to y'all. I mean, I, I think we did good. I think we covered a good overview. Okay, I'm going to give you 30 seconds, Jake. You want to tell people real quick uh, where they can find out more about you? Okay, so you can go to schoolworldorder.info. That's got uh, links to Trying Day Books where you can buy the book. Of course, you can go to Amazon as well. Um, on my website, you also have uh, links to all the articles that I've written. I have my uh, bibliography for all the sources in the book. Most of them are live links. There's also links to my uh, social media, so my BitChute, my YouTube, um, my uh, Twitter um, and then there's a database on there that, I, that I'm building with all the uh, documents that Charlotte gave me. Uh, there's a little paywall on that. Um, I'm going to be uh, $5 a month. It's like 10 cents a day. Okay. All right. We'll get that on the other side. If you're, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio, jump on sonsoflibertymedia.com, right side of the page. Catch Bradley at 3. 
Okay, want to welcome everybody over to the uh, to the uh, the video platform who's coming over from Red State Talk Radio. Sorry to cut you off there, uh, Jake. I, I my my apologies. <laughs> Thirty seconds runs real fast, and uh, we got that on there. But I'm going to have the links up for for your book and for your website and things in the archive after the show. Uh, it'll take for people who who still don't get it. It takes me time to upload things and to formulate that to edit and stuff like that so you know give me a couple hours it's usually up in the morning on sons of liberty media.com we'll have that there so we're going to hold over a little bit and uh I, what i want to do is i want to toss it back over to you lynn if there's other okay. questions you wanted to ask jake and jake if there's something else you think is important that maybe we didn't get to cover um especially something that you see going on right now with this and any other solutions you may uh, think of or that you have in the back of your mind maybe there's something small maybe there's something big or whatever uh, that you want to bring to the table. I'm going to turn it back over to Lynn. Okay. Uh, Jake, do you think you might have a part two book coming down the pike anytime soon? Or have you thought about that? Or What I do want to do is because, as I mentioned in that conclusion section, um, you know, I was learning or working through a lot of those ideas. So it's a little denser than some of the other chapters. What I would like to do, uh, if I can ever find the time, is to condense that uh, into a very, you know, a nice, nice little handbook that people can use for like um, a very simplified introduction to the classical method, in particular okay. grammar logic rhetoric. Um, now, will you be working with anyone to do this, or this is going to be the the your your brainchild, or or how are you going to do that? I haven't thought it out that well yet. I just know that I have been, there's a couple lessons that I started incorporating um, into my classrooms as far as uh, the grammar, logic, rhetoric, the, the, the trivia. Mm -hmm. I've always taught rhetoric in the classical sense, ethos, right. ethos. Um, but, but the formal logic and the grammar, uh, so, I, so I basically, I just, I'm going to start with some of those lessons and um, try to branch out from there and, um, so, so I haven't even, haven't even conceived, all I know, all I can conceive of them as is what I put on the board, which is the <laughs> bullet points in my, I haven't, I haven't done any kind of serious writing on it yet, okay. um, but I could collaborate with some people. I would be able to do that. Okay. Well, that, that sounds like something to look forward to. And, and, you know, if it comes to fruition, you know, come back on and we'll, we'll talk about that. But I have a, a book that would be a great resource for anyone who does want to get at that local level uh, with solutions for going to their school board, going to their city meetings, because, you know, a lot of this is not just at the school board. A lot of it's going to be in your city budgets. And that is Citizen Ninja by Mary Baker. She is um, a wonderful lady who is in California and she works with the Citizens for Free Speech. And uh, of course, that's under Patrick Wood. And, you know, he's in he's a really big uh, expert in the uh, technocracy movement. And so I don't know if you've gotten to meet him and talk with him, Jake, but he is a, he is a goldmine of information. And uh, he's, uh, I think, I think it's called Stop Technocracy Now, I think is the website or the newsletter. But you know, you certainly if you've not heard of him, you might want to look him up because I think you two could have a wonderful conversation. But yeah, that Citizen Ninja book, 
um, is a very short read, but in it, Mary tells you how you can take your citizen power and use it so that you can start to have those conversations you were talking about, Jake, with those who are like-minded so that you can go and influence those who need to wake up and, and smell the coffee. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I do know Patrick Wood. I, I very much respect mm-hmm. his work. Uh, I know that he also wrote Trilaterals Over Washington with uh, Anthony Sutton. Um, I've tried to get a hold of him a few times. I haven't been able to. He's probably busy and stuff. I think oh, I he's a yeah. friend of mine, um, um, one of the shows I was on, uh, Dan, Dan Happel, I think, was going to reach out to him, but I don't know if it ever uh if he ever did, was able to do that. So, I mean, if, you know, if anybody over there has got a, uh, got a connection to him and we can let him know, I'll, I'm happy to have a conversation with him. We can okay. Okay. Something. Yeah. I'd love that. Okay. Sounds good. Well, Tim, I think we're done. Um, as far as conversation, I know we probably need to go over, you know, how to get in touch with, uh, uh, Jake and his website. Cause I know that was really short and then, you know, close it up from there. Yeah, I took and um, <clears throat> I brought up his website. I was able to get it while he, while he was saying that. And mm-hmm. uh, we've had Patrick on on the show too. And dealing, we we were dealing actually with the mass mandate, and he came on to speak about that because he'd put out the First Amendment cards on those kinds of things. So <clears throat> it's uh you know that's that's part of it too. But I'll show people the the website again. It's schooledorder.info, and that's where you can uh, that's where you can find Jake and pick up his book. As well as uh, you can grab that on Amazon. And Jake, you've got another one. I didn't know this. I was looking up your author page. You've got one that you've contributed to as well called Troubled. What's what's that book about? Oh, well, that's a book my uh, it's a book my wife uh, wrote. It's um, it's it's basically it's a Christian themed book, um, and it's about a, a person who has to do with uh, the P word, right? The um, it has to do with sexual abuse. And, okay. Uh, Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, pe- I'll, I'll have these links up later on today, and uh, people will be able to uh, check those out in the archive. I'll send you. I'll, I'll make sure you guys uh, have have links to that if you want to share it or use it or in any way. And um, I think that's everything that I've got. Uh, Lynn's got a couple of images I'll add in that we didn't get to as well. And uh, so before we go, I'm going to turn it over to you, Lynn, if you want to give out your information where people can find okay. you. And then, and Jake, if you want to just follow right behind her and give out your information again, that'd be great. Okay. All right. Well, as always, you can find me on commoncorediva.com. I do have a secure donate button there if you would like to financially bless my work. I have been invited to go to Oklahoma in August. That will require some funding. And so if you feel like you can help out with that need, that'd be super. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on MeWe, USA.life, of course, Citizens for Free Speech under localactivist.org. You can find me uh, on Breaking News Journal on Amazon and Roku. And you can also find me with Suzanne Hamner Thursday mornings on the Liberty Bells, and we do that on BitChute. Okay, Jake. One more time. So- <laughs> Okay, sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, That's okay. I'm, I'm bad with. Uh, I did that twice on the Ed Offerman show. <laughs> I, I'm so yeah, schoolworld.info. It's got links to the book at Trying Day. It's got um, links to all my social media. It's got links to all my articles. Um, the, the, uh, and then there's a database on there that uh, I'm putting together. I, um, that's a that's an easy way you could like you could, could support my work. Um, and it, like I said, it's $5 a month. So it's like 20 cents a day. And I'll be updating it 
Uh, regularly, it's basically a web brain, so it's got all sorts of nodes that connect to others, but they've got files in there and notes, and so it's all the stuff that Charlotte collected. Um, and it also sort of gives you like a tapestry, uh, sort of a digital version of like the type of flow chart that we looked at today, but with uh, links to like files and other articles and stuff like that. Um, cool. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had a couple of people uh, that were nice enough to, to subscribe. So, you know, you can keep that going. I can do more of this type of work, uh, maybe teach a couple less classes and, you know, focus, focus more on my research. But as an adjunct, I have to teach... Uh, double time what other people teach so <laughs> most of this research is in the wee hours of the morning oh i know how that goes <laughs> <laughs> all right well we appreciate you joining us today jake and uh, it's been yes, a pleasure thank you it's been a pleasure meeting you and i'm glad that lynn was able to bring you on and uh, platforms always open if you got new stuff that needs to come out just be in touch with lynn we'll get you on uh, that kind of thing, and, and we appreciate you. Guys, if you want to catch Bradley again, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com, and then we'll see you again bright and early, Lord willing, 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. Adios.